Hello and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to navigate the workplace, business, and your career with a little more ease and a lot less angst. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, and today we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Jessica Meister. Jess, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Super excited that you are here. By way of background, Jess is a licensed clinical psychologist and neuropsychologist. She has a private practice in New York City and specializes in evaluating children and adolescents and adults with learning, attentional, and psychiatric challenges that impact them in their daily lives, primarily in school, at work, and in their relationships. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff that we can dig into. So before we really get into the meat of everything, do you mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about who you are and your background? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I originally grew up in New Jersey in the suburbs of Manhattan. Um, and then I went to Emory University in Atlanta, which is where we met. And Woo-hoo. I think we met pretty early on um, and had a pretty immediate connection, a lot of similarities in certain aspects of who we are and our personalities and our drive. Um, And we worked really hard. We had a lot of fun together uh, at Emory and I'm really grateful for that experience. After that, I went back to New York and, um, excuse me, I applied for grad school uh, in the city where I studied uh, school and clinical child psychology, and then obtained my postdoctorate uh, degree in neuropsychology. I began working at Columbia Presbyterian, which is a huge um, hospital system in New York City, and I started my prior practice at the same time, and that was five years ago. And in the past six months, I actually left my hospital position to pursue private practice um, full time, and I've been growing the business since then. And um, I now live in the city with my my boyfriend, my partner, and our two cats. So I'm a cat mom, which is new. And um, yeah, other than that, I still I've always been a dancer. I still dance for fun and do yoga and work out, and that's my life. One of the things we connected on dance exactly. Well, dance. I know Jacqueline did palms in high school. <laughs> It's taken over Um, 10 episodes, but finally it's come out that I was a palm in high school, which if you don't know what that is, it's like the halftime show, kind of like cheerleading without stunts and talking. Um, But we, yes, we definitely, definitely um, connected on that uh, among many other topics, including some more psychologically minded ones, um, you know, in recent years and even in our social life. Exactly. Um, Jess is one of those friends where you sit down to have a drink and somehow we get on some very heavy, esoteric, philosophical topic. And I'm sure today is going to be just like that, minus the beverages. Um, (laughs) But, you know, as you're talking a little bit about your background, Jess, do you mind sharing the difference between what a psychologist does and what a neuropsychologist does? Yeah, absolutely. So um, all neuropsychologists are psychologists first um, by trade. You know, we're licensed to practice 
psychology and primarily psychologists are individuals providing, you know, psychotherapy to children, adolescents, families, couples, adults. Um, So mostly doing therapy, right? Or, you know, treating um, some type of uh, mental illness or just other life challenges. A neuropsychologist really specializes in the connection between the brain and the behavior and in actually doing diagnostic evaluations, looking at um, cognitive functioning in addition to social, emotional, and psychiatric functioning to really understand um, and put the puzzle together of who a person is as a whole. How do they learn? How do they think? How do they process information? What are their strengths and challenges? And then, you know, diagnostically what's going on, if anything, and what are the recommendations that we can give to them so that they can be um, successful and achieve that balance and fulfillment in their everyday life, whether that's in school, again, with their, in their families, um, in their relationships and in their, uh, in their jobs as well. So it sounds like you're saying that a psychologist really is a lot about the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions associated with these things. And a neuropsychologist takes all of that and also looks at the infrastructure of the brain. Exactly. And puts all together and kind of also gives a lot of information about what is going on. Because a lot of times you go to a psychologist and you're just, you're getting treatment. They do a brief assessment and they start treatment with you. Um, But what I primarily do is actually um, give people answers as to like who they are, understanding themselves better, what's going on with them, and then referring them to the appropriate person for whatever type of treatment or service or intervention that I think would be helpful. Great. So that's a great segue into why we thought it would be wonderful to have you on the podcast, because we talk a lot about knowing yourself here and obviously knowing about the way you think, the way you react, the way you feel in certain situations is a key component to all of that. And this is where we wax a little philosophical I was unsure whether or not I was going to share this story, but I will go ahead and and share it. Uh, Jess and I were actually at a bachelorette party together in Texas and got in one of our heavy conversations. And she recommended a book to me called The Drama of the Gifted Child. And I immediately downloaded it on my Kindle and I decided to read it on my four-hour flight home between Austin and New York. And somewhere over, somewhere between those two points, I started hysterically <laughs> crying from reading this book because it really hit me and triggered something very deep-seated. And what it's about is about perfectionism and overachiever syndrome. And I know in my coaching practice, I tend to work with businesses and professionals that are in very high stress environments, a la finance, commercial real estate, private equity, law. And those industries tend to attract a certain type of people, a certain type of person. And it tends to be someone who, and this is a generalization, has been a lifelong overachiever, someone who's driven by achievement, someone who's driven by quote unquote success, someone who um, is really focused on goals and outcomes and is less 
focused on the journey rather than the destination. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, particularly because Jess has particular specialty in working with young children, where a lot of these things are fundamentally formed for people. So Jess, can you kick it off and tell us a little bit about what is overachiever syndrome? Yeah. So obviously overachiever syndrome is not a formal diagnosis of any kind, but um, it is a pattern of behavior and, and sort of personality traits that we commonly see, you know, like Jacqueline said, um, many successful people sort of have a history of having this type of mindset, these types of behaviors. And as someone, um, I'm speaking from, by the way, both my personal experience as um, historically an overachiever, um, I call it recovering perfectionist, but you never fully recover, so to speak. Um, and also from my clinical work and, and working with many, many, you know, children and families and adults and and, and friends of mine um, who ha- who have this type of mindset and personality. So um, overachieving uh, individuals really put most of their focus on success and achievement and the desire to be perfect. Um, and, and it's really adaptive and it's it's positive in many ways. And, and because of that, it's often reinforced um, a lot, right? Because that looks really good. Oh, you got a hundred on that test. like you're in all these clubs, you're getting all these gold medals, like you've gotten into this great school, like that all looks great to parents and teachers and, um, and, and friends and possible romantic partners, right? Those are all great things. But what happens is when the drive is so solely focused on that, um, things start eventually, things go awry, things fall apart, we fall apart. And um, it can cause a lot of stress and mental health and physical health issues for us along the way. Um, Typically, you know, the drive to be an overachiever, it does come from a young age. It's very common, especially in family situations where um, maybe a child feels, and obviously it's different in every situation, that they need to um, do this in order to feel, get attention or to feel loved or to feel accepted by their parents. And a lot of times that's because maybe, you know, maybe their parents are dealing with a sibling who has more challenges in some ways. And then this other person needs, this other child needs to be the one to sort of have like positive attention on them only and not cause their parents stress. And to um, it also can, you know, come from a place of wanting to be accepted and wanting to feel worthy. Um, Mm. And that starts with wanting to be accepted and feel, you know, like you have worth coming from first year parents and then that gets internalized. And so that's sort of where I see it um, progress. So like so much else, it's about the family unit and the family dynamics and the role that individuals play from a very, very young age. And so my next question for you, Jess, is you mentioned you fall apart when it comes to a certain point. How does being an overachiever manifest itself in people who are older or more advanced in their careers? Um, so obviously this can look, this can manifest in many different ways. It can look different for everyone, but what I typically see is um, 
this amazing adaptation that we've developed, this way of coping, this way of um, being resilient and achieving success and, and becoming very successful. Um, it, it's done in an extreme way to the detriment of everything else, right? So um, at least in my personal life, we get sick. I mean, I, you know, I had mono in high school, pneumonia in college. My mother used to call it, you know, burning the candle at both ends. Mm. Um, my mom herself was an, uh, an overachiever as well. When she was 20, she ha- um, was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre and was completely paralyzed rehab oh for six months to a year. Um, and she said she was doing the same thing that I was doing. And, you know, as you get older, right, you you burn out mentally, physically, you're stressed, you have anxiety, you're, you feel like you're running on that spinning wheel, you're like that rat on that wheel, and you just cannot get off of it, you're more irritable. Um, and I, I know for me, when I find myself getting back, because I've done a lot of work to get off that spinning wheel and to know how to recognize when I've gone too far mm. on that extreme with overachieving and overworking and trying to be over, overly perfect in everything all the time. Um, I'm not a good partner. Like I'm not, I'm not taking care of myself and I'm not very fun to interact with because now I'm irritable. And how can you be a good parent also when you're in that kind of chronic state of stress? You're mm. just all susceptible to all different types of you know, mental health and physical health issues. I used to get sick colds all the time. And um, and sometimes we're also looking at other maladaptive coping strategies to help us with that now stress that we have, right? Maybe we're drinking too much, right? Um, it's affecting our sleep. And like I said, I think in our relationships, it took me getting into um, a more serious, healthy relationship to realize how that you know, it was one thing when I was just on my own and I was just running myself down. And it's another thing when now I'm a partner to somebody or th- when you become a parent to someone. And now my interactions, like I have a short fuse, you know, things make me more anxious or more upset more easily. Yeah. And then now I'm not communicating as effectively in my relationship. And that's obviously problematic for a variety of reasons. Well, there's so much in what you just said. And the first thing I'm compelled to comment on is this idea of success, because it's something that you've fallen victim to. It's something I've fallen victim to, which is a very specific and myopic view of success, which is either born from societal expectation or parental expectation or comparison or even self expectation in a lot of ways. Um, And I see this with a lot of people, too, who I work with, where they see success very myopically as I need to make X amount of money. I need to achieve X title. I need to work at this type of company. And it doesn't necessarily take into account everything else that makes a holistic life. Right. And that goes back to to values and what you want your life to look like and how you want to holistically live your life. And so a lot of the work I do is about value systems and really identifying non-negotiable values so that when you decide to either join an organization or join a company or start your own company, you can make smarter decisions of where to go and who to hire or who to partner with, right? And then The next thing that I want to comment on that you're saying is this idea of burning the candle at both ends, because that's a very common saying that I think you and I were both raised with. 
And this idea of burnout, in some ways, I think, has become an overused word where a lot of its meaning has been lost. So what is burnout? And how can you tell if somebody is burnt out versus just under a lot of stress? Yeah. Well, I think when we're talking about someone being under a lot of stress, I mean, stress is a part of life. Stressful things happen in our life. We're always, you know, coping, you know, maybe there's a death, maybe you were diagnosed with an illness, you know, maybe your child is sick, like things happen. Um, But that will wax and wane, right? Mm. It'll rise and fall. Burnout is like you are chronically in a state of stress for a long period of time to the point where you're miserable and you're not really functioning and you're, you have no mindful, like you cannot be mindfulness, mindful at all, um, to what is going on around you. Like you are just, um, it really affects people's moods and you're just not present. Mm. When you're burnt out, you, you lose, um, motivation for what you're doing. And so it's sort of the opposite, right? Like you're, you're trying to achieve and you're trying to reach success. You're trying to do all these things and you're working, working, working. And then you end up actually just completely losing steam and losing yourself, losing your health. Um, I know in situations where that happened to me, like I was saying, like you get, you often are getting really sick. You're maybe getting out of shape. Like you're mentally not coping well. It's sort of just beyond like a short term period of stress. I don't know if that um, makes sense, but I think I see a lot of people feeling not motivated to do the work, especially that they're doing because it's no longer meaningful to them. Yeah. Maybe it never was. Well, I was just going to say that because there is a distinction too where you know, there's the, there's the visual of burning the candle at both ends and overworking and the person on wall street or the, the lawyer eating, you know, lo mein out of a Chinese box in a, you know, Mm -hmm. like a Chinese food takeaway box late night as they're working on a really big deal. That's like the trope in Hollywood, right? Where you're just systematically working long hours. And then there's a misalignment of values, interests, motivations with what you're doing. Can both of those things cause burnout? So, I mean, the first one for sure. I think, um, and this is more from personal experience, but Um, I was really burnt out at one point. It was actually my fifth year of graduate school and I was um, on my internship, which is sort of like a residency. And um, I was working at a place where I was, it was extremely stressful. My quality of life was really poor. I wasn't able to get good sleep. I was so busy and overworked. I didn't have time to eat lunch, go to the bathroom, do anything. And um, I didn't have time to exercise. I wasn't eating well, just, I was just completely unhealthy and I woke up January 1st of that year and said, like, I can't do this. I don't think I can become a psychologist. Like, I don't think I'm going to make it. And um, luckily for me, I was able to speak to mentors, um, people who had gone through my program. And they said, okay, like, take some deep breaths, Jess, like, you know, and really think about um, 
you know, what do you want your life to look like you were saying? And also like, what are you really good at? And what do you really enjoy? Mm. And what brings you so and, and this is these are the values that I live by, right? Like what brings you joy, meaning and peace, right? And if you can, I just align myself with that. Is this bringing me joy, meaning and or peace? At least one of those things, because if it's not, then I'm not going to do it anymore. And, and, and I did figure that out. And that's how I ended up applying to the postdocs in pediatric neuropsychology and realizing that, you know, I've always been good at this and I've always been really interested in this. And, um, and then I, I interviewed, I got all the interviews, I got the job, the offers that I wanted. And here I am, you know, running my business, doing what I love. So even if I feel stressed or overworked, I'm able to manage that because I'm saying like, it's my business. This is what I want to do. I, this, there's a lot of meaning behind this. And so I would say 99% of the time, I don't, I'm not getting burned out because I feel really good and passionate. And this is bringing me a lot of meaning. Now, when I feel that level of peace start to decline, because maybe I am overworking, I'm able to take a step back and say, you know, or I feel myself like getting snappy with my partner. I'm able to take a step back and say, you know what, like, this is my cue to maybe not overbook myself next month, even mm. though I have this goal of like, oh, I want to grow the business like 50 more percent like this year and X, Y, Z this year. Right. But right. hold on. I also want to go on vacation and I want to be a good partner and I eventually want to be a good parent. So I'm able to now balance that. I wasn't able to do that in the past, but I'm also saying no to other things even outside of work that aren't bringing me joy, meaning or peace. Right. Well, so. and you highlight something so fantastic because one of the things I tend to beat a drum about is that going through and taking the time to do the exercise to figure out what's important to you, to figure out your values, to figure out your non-negotiables is that it becomes a litmus test for you. And that's how you're using it. You're saying, this is my, my barometer. So you have something to measure yourself up against. And when you know things are off kilter, you can course correct. And I also love you bring up the point of saying no, because I think that's something that is endemic of lifelong achievers mm -hmm. where they want to do everything. They want to take everything on. They should be able to do everything themselves. And don't want to disappoint anyone. <laughs> and don't want to disappoint anyone. Yes. <laughs> I, I certainly have that. Um, and there's, there's just so much in that. So I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, myself included, are thinking about how they can prevent children from going down this path. So the first question I have is, what are the signs that a child is starting to exhibit some of this behavior? That's a great question. So, um, Typically the, you know, there, there's kids who have a certain, they have a certain disposition, right? And we also know like these types of traits run in families, just like anxiety and depression runs in families, perfectionism, right? Um, if you see children getting really hyper-focused on their mistakes and their failures, and it's like they're having a huge tantrum, upset, you know, behavioral and emotional dysregulation about something small, like that they did like even you know they forgot their tennis racket for tennis practice right or they left their homework at home or um i'll give an example for me i 
failed a 10 question quiz on adding and subtracting positive and negative numbers in fourth grade still sticks in my head, right? Like this hyper focus and upset around failures and failing and feeling like I messed up. I made this mistake. I didn't achieve. I got a few points off my test. And that means that I am a horrible human being with zero self-worth. And that's like, and you're like, calm down. Like you just, it's fine. Like you just, you know, you got a couple wrong. Like, and not every parent reacts that way, obviously, which is a whole other topic we can talk about. But yeah, you start to notice like a, a rigidity, a black and white thinking of it's either all or nothing. Like I got a hundred or I failed. Mm. And just that type of extreme thinking patterns, big upsets um, around any mistakes or failures. Um, you know, I've, I was talking to um, a client recently and she's in high school and she's like, I don't socialize. I don't see anyone. Like all I do is study for the ACT. I study for the ACT seven days a week. And I'm like, whoa, like, what do you do for fun? Are you seeing friends? Like, are you sleeping? You know, just that lack of balance. Yeah. Um, that's, and you know, if you looked at me, I, in high school, I was in 13 clubs. I was the president of four of them. I was sleeping about three hours a night. Oh my I was gosh. dancing about 15. I was dancing and competing 15 hours a week. I was taking all AP and honors classes and no one said, Hey, Jess, you know what? That doesn't seem balanced. Like, and also do you like all these things? Are all of these things bringing you joy? Like, why are you doing this? Now I was like a runaway train with no brakes. I don't think anyone could have stopped me at that point. And it wasn't until later until I was able to figure out my own, how to stop myself. Um, it took a long time and a lot of awareness and, um, you know, therapy to get to that point. But I think we can see these signs earlier. And, and I always say to my mom, like, didn't you notice? Like, but no one notices because, um, and this is why they talk about, you know, if you go on like TikTok, you know, high functioning, depressed people or high functioning, anxious people, because they look great on the outside. Yeah, They're achieving, they're performing. Like, what are you going to tell them? Like, Hey, slow down. So it's, it's, it's a little bit tricky, but like I said, these, these people pleasing and overdoing behaviors get reinforced. Yeah. A lot. There's, ugh, there's so much in what you just said between <laughs> the self-criticism, the questioning of your self-worth, the all or nothing mentality, all of that is resonating so deeply with me personally. And then also in my role in leadership development and executive and career coaching, because these are themes that come out very, very frequently. So you also bring up another excellent point, which is sometimes there's a really strong will and willful willfulness in these types of children or adolescents where, and I loved the visual of a runaway train. And there is this balance between trying to help someone. And I don't know what you were like at 14 or 15, but if my mom tried to get me to do something, it was automatic defensive mode, right? <laughs> automatic no. <laughs> automatic no. And then it was also, you know, people need to help themselves to a certain extent. So if parents are seeing these tendencies in a child or adolescent, what can they do? Another amazing question. Um, and I, I can take that in many different directions, but I think, you know, even if you're saying to yourself as a parent, like, 
I'm not pushing my kid to do X, Y, Z, or I'm not telling them to get straight A's. Um, just know that the messages that your child is getting may not be explicit. They may be implicit. I like to say they're coming through the air conditioning system. First of all, there's, <laughs> there's their peer, there's their peers, their society at large. I mean, you know, I remember when we were graduating college, having that internal stress of like, even though I'm not going into finance or anything like that, but 2008, like, you know, world's falling apart. Like what is happening? So there is, there is just stress that comes in through the air conditioning system. Even if you don't realize it, you may not be like telling your kid, like you need to do X, Y, Z. You may not be like that. Some parents also have those types of high achievement expectations and they are explicit about it, but think about any ways as a parent that you might be implicitly um, expressing these messages to your children or, you know, and think about how you can be a model to your child in your own life. I think this is the biggest thing. Cause I think as a kid who is an overachiever and a perfectionist, you feel like you have to be perfect at all times and you have to achieve and that you're not allowed to make mistakes and that, you know, that's not acceptable. And so as a parent, if you can model for your child that you sometimes make mistakes and it's okay. And mm. that, um, this is one thing I wanted to bring up, um, talking about something from a therapy called dialectical behavior therapy or DBT. There's this concept of dialectics, like multiple truths, feelings, thoughts, um, seemingly opposing, opposingly opposing perspectives can be true at the same time and learning to balance those and walk the middle path that those can be helpful. So it's being able to say, you know, I am doing the best that I can and I can work harder, right? Like, I make mistakes sometimes and I can, I can work harder at them, but it's, you're accept, you're able to balance and accept when those things happen and still, you know, keep chugging along. So it's not that we want to sit here and say like, oh yeah, like to my child or to my, who cares if you fail every test? Like, that's not what I'm saying. There's a balance between just being totally loose and then being like overly rigid and helping them with that mindset and to get out of that rigidity and thinking and that black and white thinking can be really helpful. And that's so hard to do. And it's so hard mm-hmm. to model. And I know for myself, and I've, I've talked about this before on the podcast, I was, and I still am in a lot of ways. I don't think you ever necessarily grow out it, out of it. Very goal oriented. There are goals I have I want to achieve, and I love goals because they provide direction, but the path to get there is inevitably different than the strategic plan you lay out, right? Planning is important, strategy is key, and life gets in the way, and it's nonlinear. Yes. And one of the hardest things I've had to learn is enjoy the journey, enjoy the ups and downs, because I do have a habit of, of very black and white thinking, very all or nothing. Um, and that's something that I've had to learn to adapt with. So this concept of DBT, can you talk about that a little bit more and kind of the theory yeah. and the, the thought behind it? So um, some, of, some of DBT comes from cognitive behavior therapy or CBT, which has been around for, for longer. And some of it comes from um, you know, more Eastern thinking, like Zen Buddhism, right? Um, but it's really the idea of, you know, becoming more mindful, number one. Mindfulness is like the key to everything. 
um, being more mindful of how we're feeling and what we're thinking. And when you're on that runaway train, you are not, there is no mindfulness going on. Um, and then understanding that, you know, we, if you are living in ex two extremes, right? Like either I am in full work mode, I'm never taking a vacation, I'm never taking a sick day, like I am work, 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 working, or like I've just let go of absolutely everything or I can't even start my work because I'm so overwhelmed by it. Like mm. there has to be a balance and and it is amazing to have goals and to, to want to achieve and to want to succeed. And we don't want to get rid of that drive and that passion um, for success. I would not be who I am or where I am today if I didn't have that in me and it was adaptive and it was resilient. And we want to be able to sort of balance. And again, this idea of walking the middle path and balance. And just even if it's 1% of flexibility mm. of what you thought was the plan. So it's like just giving yourself even 1% of energy if you have to of like, okay, you know, maybe instead of working at 100% or 200%, as I used to say, I'm either in 200% or I'm not in at all. I used that, and I really identified closely with that personality. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't, once I gave myself that permission to release from that and say, uh, and this is sort of like that Buddhism non-attachment thing, like, wait, I don't have to be all in 200%. Maybe today I'm in 200, maybe tomorrow, you know what? I'm not feeling that well today. So maybe tomorrow I'm in, I'm in 50%. Yeah. And that's okay. I'm not judging be not judging yourself for it, being compassionate with yourself of if this doesn't go perfectly or if I don't do it exactly a, a certain way that I can't reach my goal. You can still reach your goal but with giving yourself a little bit of wiggle room, flexibility and compassion. And that's what it's all about. Cause we don't want to take away that drive. That drive is what leads us to be successful. Again, so much in what you just said, Jess, that is incredibly profound. What you just said about all or nothing, 50% versus 1% so resonates with me. And I keep talking about this book, but there's a great book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he uses a wonderful analogy where he talks about an ice cube. And he says, you sit an ice cube on your desk and it's 28 degrees. Then it's 29 degrees then it's 30 degrees and it may not look like anything's happening. And then it's 31 degrees. And then all of a sudden it hits 32 degrees Fahrenheit and it starts to melt. And it's all about how the small little incremental shifts build on each other over time. And you, it's not about getting it done immediately. It's not about the overnight success. It's not that all your previous efforts were futile. It's that things sometimes just take the time they take. And I think that's so parallel to what you're talking about with this. And it, it's somewhat ironic because I love philosophy in general. I was a classical civilization minor in college. Um, particularly, I love Stoic philosophy. And Buddhism at its core is a philosophy where there's just so much amazing content. And I say it tongue in cheek, but, you know, all these philosophies, they're the basis of therapy and coaching and all of this. And it's everything. Yeah. And it's been around for, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And there's a reason it stood the test of time. And 
the other week I had three different clients when you're talking about non-attachment to the outcome. I had three different clients that I was working with where we got them to not be so focused on the outcome. And in every single situation within one week, they all got what they ultimately wanted. Yep. And that is huge. It was huge because I think especially people who love control, which I think fits this, you know, avatar (laughs) that we're talking about today, right? They like to think the more effort they put into something, again, speaking from experience, um, the more control they have over something, the more they can get something to happen when sometimes the opposite is true. And that was huge for me to see because it was just such a glaringly obvious example. And Jess, I can't believe this, but I'm looking at the clock and our time is winding down. I feel like we've only been talking for 10 minutes. No. (laughs) I know. But as we do wind down, I do like to rapid fire two questions to my guests, if you're ready for that. All right, let's do it. So if someone is listening to this podcast and they're like, oh, wow, this is me. I didn't think this was me. And here I am in a nutshell. What advice do you have for them? Wow. I know it's supposed to be rapid fire, but I just, I'm thinking about it for a second. I think um, the first, the first thing is just, you are enough and, and you can still, you know, and just to be compassionate with yourself and what you've done and, and who you are, where you're com- where you've come from. And again, just, just starting with, again, the values and really, really thinking about not just what I want my life to look like, but how do I want to feel mm. in my life every day? Do I want to feel like a runaway train or a rat on an endless running an endless wheel um, or a chicken with my head chopped off? Or do I want to feel peaceful and happy and content and joy, right? Like, how do I want to feel and, and and try to figure out how you can become more aligned with that, but have compassion for when you were hard on yourself or when you push too far, you know, or I don't, yeah, there's just so much. Um, That's that I great. Can say there. It's just, it's tricky, but, but it's, this is also not, I don't like to even use the words like good and bad, but this is not a bad thing to be at all like this is this propels people to success it's just about harnessing it and balancing it and again walking that middle path and and once you can figure out and then become aware of how to do that you're gonna soar that's that's a great way of putting it this has served me in the past and i have control over it and that's exactly what dialectical thinking is about. It's about connecting and and not using the word but anymore. Both and. Lots of things can be true at once. And that's exactly right. That's great. All right. Next question. Take this however you will. What do you wish you knew then that you know now? Hmm. 
there's always going to be more work to do. May as well um, take a breather. Um, same thing I'll say. You are enough. You're not defined by your failures or your successes. And actually, in addition to finding meaning in, in the process, as you described before, just knowing that there would actually be, when I let go, there would be meaning in my failures. And yeah. that I would learn so much from the times that I did fall and fail. And I would not be here today without, I, I see meaning in everything that I thought was so devastating that had happened in different points. And I'm so glad and grateful that I had those um, challenging personal experiences because it got me to a better place and to where I am today with my personal life and with my business and with my clients in my career. And so. Isn't it amazing how hindsight really is 2020 and going through something, it may not feel good, but it doesn't mean it's not good for you in the end. 100% agree. I mean, obviously that doesn't apply to all situations, but, but you know, being able to, to have that perspective where something is happening for you and it's yeah. going to serve you in some capacity, you may not know it now, right? but it will manifest somewhere down the line, either in having to it deal with will. a certain personality type or deal with a certain situation at work or in your personal life or navigate something and you realize, oh wait, I'm able to leverage the skill yeah. I learned from that really crappy experience. Yeah. And I mean, even when I was applying to jobs and I really wanted this job at this like schmancy private practice, you know, in Manhattan, I'm overlooking Madison Square Park. And I became really attached to this idea and this beautiful view. And I would eat lunch in the park. And guess what? I didn't get that job. And if I had not experienced that, then I never would have started my business. Yeah. Right. And I am so happy, like being having my own business and, and like seeing through this entrepreneurial spirit that I have and growing my business and it's become a success very quickly. And I, I only hope that it will continue to grow and I'm continuing to work on that while I also can have a balanced life and, you know, take my vacations and have good relationships and have a family. Right. So um, things happen. And sometimes we feel like we failed when really, you know, it's just pushing us in another direction to really succeed and to really feel happy. So. Jess, this has been awesome. I feel like we could have talked for a whole entire hour more. No doubt. Um, <laughs> such amazing insights. So much to think about. Thank you so much for, for joining us. If anyone is listening to this and wants to get in touch with you, how can they do that? So um, they can find me, contact me through my website, uh, drjessicameister.com. I'm also on Instagram at dr.jessicameister, and it's M-E-I-S-T-E-R. Awesome. Well, thank you. And as always, thank you to our listeners for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. Look out for new episodes on Tuesdays. As you can tell, we always have wonderful guests with us. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. And please connect with us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting, on our website, www.jacquelinebeckconsulting.com, or email us at info at jacquelinebeckconsulting.com. That's Jacqueline, J-A-C-L-Y-N, and Beck, B-E-C-K. See you next time. <laughs>